Hello, fellow believers. This is Andrew Jensen with another episode of A Life Well Lived Podcast. Episode 3, The Place of Refuge. This one is a special one. This one is dated May 29th, 1983. So sit back, relax, enjoy the words and wisdom of my grandfather, Don Jensen, great and wise man. That introduces us to the 20th chapter of Joshua. That's what we are looking at in recent uh, weeks and months, and I would like for you now to turn with me, please, in that Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 20. If you do not happen to have an Old Testament with you, I reach into the uh, pew holder there in front of you, take out the Bible, and I think you'll turn to page 247, and you'll find there the 20th chapter of Joshua. We come to the subject of the cities of refuge. I should like for us to read the first verses of this because it has so much to instruct us about the refuge that we as Christians have as well. Verse 1 of chapter 20. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. When he flees to one of these cities, he is to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. Then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. If the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. He is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then he may go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. God give to us not only an understanding of this historical provision for the people of Israel in the day of Joshua, but may give to us an understanding of the refuge that belongs to you and to me found in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray that that will happen. Our Father, as we read this record, we immediately sense how compassionate and gracious you are, how understanding you are of the human situation, as well as of the sinfulness that is within the human arena of life. And Lord, you know about our needs and our problems those hard situations that knock at the door of our hearts and homes. And we pray, dear Lord, that you will enable us to know that you indeed are a refuge, strong and secure, able to help us, to protect us, and to enable us to know how to cope. So, Lord, instruct us today out of your word for the needs of life as we experience them. Now we pray this, not for our sake, but Lord, for the sake and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ through our lives. Amen. Oh, my old friend, how many times I have lifted you above my head and how many times we together have provided warmth for our home. You know how quickly you have become an enemy. God, how could I know that the head would fly? He was 
He was 10 feet from me. And now I am chased like an animal for a death that I could not foresee. And God, I, I don't know what to do. What, what can I do? Where can I go? The dilemma of that man drives us to understand God's provision for such an accidental homicide that might have taken place in that day, and certainly that did. So will you turn with me now back to the 20th chapter here of Joshua as we come to understand how God solved such a dilemma for the people then and how he gives to us solutions for the problems that may well assault our lives. Let me bring you up to date. Several centuries before the events that are recorded here in the book of Joshua, God had promised the nation of Israel occupancy in the land of Canaan. Now under the instrumentality of General Joshua, the people have been brought in and this land had been given to them and the tribes dwelt in areas that had been allotted to the respective tribes. Now this was the first time in the history of the nation of Israel that they finally had a place that they could call home. Just because we have a place, an apartment, condominium, home, that we call home, does not exempt us from problems. Many of the problems that the people of Israel had were dealt with in the law of Moses that had been given to them so that they might govern their laws their lives uh, appropriately. The Law of Moses had a number of different parts to it. There was the moral division of the Law of Moses, uh, which gave to them a knowledge of what was right and what was wrong. For instance, the Ten Commandments indicate that. Then there was the ceremonial aspect of the Law of Moses, which gave to them instruction by way of the liturgy and uh, worship that they would observe, and many of those instructions there pointed to the full provision that came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and fulfilled at the cross. And then there was the civil provisions, the jurisprudence uh, for different kinds of problems that might prevail. And one of those problems that prevailed was a situation, as was dramatized here by Pastor Rusty, concerning an unintentional or accidental homicide. Now this material that is before us in the 20th chapter is so very, very important for two basic reasons. Number one, it underlines very clearly and dramatically the sanctity of life. To take another person's life, even accidentally, is regarded as a very serious matter. And the other reason why it is so important is because there are abiding spiritual lessons here that give to us instructions regarding the refuge that we have in 1983 in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Joshua does not give to us a lot of information here. At least he opens up a door that leaves a lot of room for uh, some additional questions 
The reason why we do not have a lot of detail in the 20th chapter is because the people of Israel that he commanded and uh, had the responsibility to oversee were quite familiar with a lot of the details because we find that spread about in other books in the Old Testament. I would like for you to turn with me right now, if you would please, just back a few pages to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, as you know, means the second giving of the law. It was given by Moses prior to his death for the very people that Joshua uh, brought into the land of Canaan. Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. And in the 19th chapter, we have some additional information about the cities of refuge. Deuteronomy is one of the four books in the Old Testament to deal with this matter of the uh, cities of refuge. By the way, the very fact that it is discussed in four books of the Bible give to us an indication of the importance that God ascribes to it. I'd like to read now the first uh, 13 verses of this uh, chapter, and I think as we read it, Uh, you will appreciate some of the problems that have already been exhibited for us in the uh, brief um, dramatic skit that you just saw and witnessed. Moses said to the people that Joshua was responsible for, When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he is giving you, and when you have driven them out and settled in their towns and houses, then set aside for yourselves three cities, centrally located in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Build roads to them and divide into three parts the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance so that anyone who kills a man may flee there. This is the rule concerning the man who kills another and flees there to save his life, one who kills his neighbor unintentionally without malice aforethought. For instance, A man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood. And as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in a rage, overtake him if the the distance is too great, and kill him even though he is not deserving of death since he did it to his neighbor without malice or forethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourselves three cities. Now, if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he promised on oath to your forefathers, and gives you the whole land he promised you, because you carefully follow all these laws, I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk always in his ways, then you are to set aside three more cities. Do this so that innocent blood will not be shed in your land, which the Lord your God has given you as your inheritance, so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. But if a man hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him, assaults and kills him, and then flees to one of these cities, the elders of his town shall send for him, bring him back from the city, and hand him over to the avenger of blood to die. Show him no pity must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. You will observe that the cities of refuge did not help a murderer. They were a provision to protect one who was involved in an accidental homicide. 
you will also observe that it was not the function of the state to kill in the case of a homicide. This was left to a member of the family, usually the closest of kin. He was called the Goel. Uh, that means the nearest kinsman. That's the explanation, for instance, of the 12th verse of Deuteronomy 19. The elders of this town shall send for him, that is, for the fugitive, bring him back from the city, hand him over to the avenger of blood. The avenger of blood was the nearest kinsman uh, who was appointed by the family to avenge the blood of the one whose life was taken. The Bedouins still do this. They act in this very same fashion today. If a person is killed, then someone in that person's family is appointed to be the avenger of blood. Reading one commentary by a man by the name of Blakely, he points out that in Italy, in a period of over four centuries, 600,000 people were wounded or murdered out of revenge. Well, now, if you take that kind of a situation that could take place, you immediately, I know, can appreciate this compassionate and gracious uh, provision of the cities of refuge that God arranged for these people. Now, in the uh, city, the fugitive was granted asylum until a trial could be uh, held. And that trial, of course, was preferably by the representatives of a community uh, nearest the place of the death of the person who, whose life was taken. If he was acquitted, and uh, if the uh, avenger of blood was not satisfied with that decision, well, he was returned to the city of refuge until the death of the high priest, and then after that, he was free to return back to his original place of residence. If he was not acquitted, then capital punishment was administered, not by the state, but by the avenger of blood. Now let me just pause and take a brief cul-de-sac uh, to point out that uh, there are two great differences between the jurisprudence of that ancient theocracy of Israel and our modern-day uh, legal jurisprudence today. And I am uh, taking this from some reading that I did with Francis Schaeffer, who points out that one of the basic differences of jurisprudence is the fact that that theocracy in the Old Testament under Joshua and Moses rooted in the fact of God's existence. Not only did God speak, but that God was alive. He was there. And therefore, any of the civil legislations were based upon that which was absolute. That which was absolute wrong, or that which was absolute right, but not determined upon the changing attitudes, or mores, or ethos of a society, as is done today. Now, as society is changing, moving away from the Judeo-Christian morality, why new laws come into existence. And rather than having our jurisprudence built upon that which is right, because God is alive and God has said this, there is a tendency now to base it upon the whims and the mores of a given society. 
The second difference that Francis Schaeffer points out is that in the Old Testament theocracy of Israel, there is a seriousness of murder. The Bible's cry against the murderer is, you have slain an image bearer of God. Now today we've gotten away from that. All know that the last decade, the 70s, our Supreme Court has legalized murder by way of legalizing abortion. And it's quite different from that which we have here in the Old Testament. This theocracy, as you see, the seriousness of murder. Now, let me share with you five characteristics of these cities of refuge for the fugitive who was involved in a homicide that was unintentional accidental. Number one, they were always accessible. They were located in the central places on both sides of the Jordan. In fact, you will notice in the third verse of Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, they were told to build roads to them. Jewish tradition has it that they were kept in excellent condition, and that every spring they were repaired, that even bridges would be uh, built across the ravine so that the fugitive who was running away from the avenger of blood would not lose his pace or uh, lose any energy in running down the ravines back up again. But they were always accessible. In fact, even the crossroads, we are told, were marked with signposts. It said, refuge, refuge. It's pointed out which way to go. And in some places, they would even have people appointed, runners, to help the fugitive to know how to get to the distance and to the destination that he was seeking. So they were always accessible, and another feature about these cities of refuge is that they were open to all. They were open to the Israelite, they were open to the Gentile, and they were also open to the hitchhiker who was going through the land of Israel. That is, as we all know, in the land of Palestine or the land of Canaan, or wherever we wish to call it, uh, they were major highways going from Mesopotamia or up north down to Egypt and all around and uh, sometimes a sojourner as the Bible calls him would come through and would be involved in different kinds of activities and sometimes they were also protected uh, should such a misfortune and unhappy event take place in their life and so they were always available for all a third feature of um, these cities of refuge is and we gained this from sources outside of the Bible that the doors to these cities were never locked. I mean, if they had been, you can imagine what would have happened. Two o'clock in the morning, some fugitive is running, he knocks on the door, and everyone is asleep. And the avenger of blood is catching up to him, and his life then could have been uh, snuffed out and taken away because the avenger caught up with him. The doors were always unlocked, very different from all of the other cities. Fourth characteristic of these cities of refuge is, and we gain this also from non-biblical sources, that these cities were stocked with food supplies, so that when the fugitive ran in, he not only had refuge, uh, providing legal protection at that particular moment, uh, but there was also sustenance to sustain him uh, for the period of time that he would remain there every day of the week. And then there is a fifth characteristic that we obviously draw and that we can all see immediately, and that is that if the man or the woman 
who was in trouble did not flee to such a city, he or she would have no help available for him or for her. There was no other protection for them. Now immediately as I say that, I know that all of you who are believers and who are Christians here today, having put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us and who rose again, can immediately see the tremendous amount of similarities that there are in the refuge that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ who protects us from sin, hell, and Satan itself. Because we learn that in the Bible, for instance, that Christ, like these cities, is always within reach at any time at any place, for any crisis. He is always accessible. That's why the church members of God's people are scattered all over. So that whether we are in school or whether we are in the office or whether we are in the factory or out in the field or whether we are in some kind of hospital or institution or some kind of a context, whatever it is, when we meet people who are in trouble, we can point them to the place of refuge that's found in the Lord Jesus. Every one of you, as a believer, has at least a hundred people that you know somehow in a first-name acquaintance that you can say hi or hello to that the rest of us do not have. And some of those people are desperately in trouble, and they need someone to point them to the refuge that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the church, God has made the praises of our Lord known, and he is accessible, able to reach at any time, at any place, by any person. The second characteristic of the refuge that we have in Jesus is that he is available for all, for Jew and for Gentile. He's available for the church, he is available for the unbeliever. And the great word that we have in the New Testament is, whosoever will, may come and find refuge in Jesus. A third correspondence is that the door is never locked between us and the help that's found in the Lord. We do not need to worry over the fact that he might not accept us. There is nothing that we can share with God that's ever going to surprise him. He knows all about you and knowing the very worst about you. He loves you. In fact, it's not a matter of our knocking at the door. Heaven, he knocks at the door of our hearts and asks for admission. The real question we need to ask is not, will God let me in? But are we hearing his voice? Because he wants entrance into our lives. Have we opened up the door of access? Have we permitted him to come in and to express himself in a full way? Or are we even deaf, deaf to understand our desperate need for God? Oh, the door is never locked between us, our heart, and our needs, and God's assistance. And then a fourth characteristic that corresponds between a city of refuge and the refuge we have in Jesus is that our Lord Jesus Christ meets all of our needs according to his riches in glory. And just like the fugitive there could go into that gate and into the city and find not only legal protection for that night or for that next day, but found food there to assist him and help. 
fact, that was a real evangelistic and missionary strategy on the part of God because he wanted his name and his will to be declared among the people. In fact, it's been estimated that uh, no one, no person in the nation of Israel lived more than 10 miles from a city in which the Levites had their residence. Thus, every Israelite was close to a man who was well-versed in the law of Moses, someone that could give advice, someone that could give counsel, someone that could give help about God. It was so essential that the nation of Israel, as we all know, obey the word of God in all areas of life, because if they did not, their prosperity and their success, God said, would cease and their privileges would have been forfeited. Now the great tragedy is all of us who know what took place after the days of Joshua know that the Levites blew it. And as you read the book of Judges, you go down into the dark ages of the nation of Israel. And they departed. What happened? Well, the Israelites uh, were not faithful. So then idolatry uh, created its uh, contagion, its brood of corruption, and then it spread into the hearts of the people and they departed from God and finally judgment had to come. A very tragic thing. I ask the question, why did the Levites succumb? Why didn't they remain faithful to keep the people from departing from God? What happened? And I think the reason why they succumbed is the same reason that a lot of Christians today succumb from their responsibilities. And that is, it was due to the softening influences of the, quote, good life, unquote. After all, if I have this thing, and if I have that thing, and if I need to get this piece of materiality, then I don't have time any longer. After all, I've got to pay my payments here, I've got to work here, I've got to do this, I've got to do the other thing. And so I am no longer giving the time that I should then to that which is most essential. I am going after another pursuit than that which God has given to me. That's what happened to the Levites. Can't miss it. And I think as we take assessment sometimes of our own lives, it's often the way it goes. When Eddie... Arcaro, who was a well-known racing jockey, retired back in 1962. Don't ask me how I know about racing jockeys. But when he retired in 1962 as one of the most successful jockeys of that time, a reporter arranged an interview with him and asked if he still got up early in the morning to walk his mounts around the track while the dew was still in the ground. You know what our Carl said? He confessed. He said, it becomes difficult to get up early once a guy starts wearing silk pajamas. Boy. I've seen some people blessed with the silk pajamas of life. And you don't find them getting up early anymore to see God, to help people. But that's God's purpose, that wherever we are scattered, the reason why this is so important is that Peter talks to us as priests. For instance, he tells the Christians that he was writing to, he said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And 
we need to make sure that we are people who are pointing others to the refuge that is in Jesus. Who was the last person you pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ? And to learn that lesson and shed the silk pajamas if they have kept us from that great ministry. Well, let me recap now. The cities of refuge were accessible. No matter where you lived, they were accessible. And the Lord Jesus Christ is accessible. Doesn't matter what kind of problem you are in, doesn't matter where you are at in life, He is accessible. They were available for Jew, for Gentile, doesn't matter who, Christian for non Christian church person to the non-church person, he is available. That's the way our Lord Jesus is at all times. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship that he wants to establish with the people that he paid a purchase price of blood for. For you, it's available to you. Not only that, but the city of refuge had the door unlocked so that people could come in and, and our Lord comes and knocks and our hearts go up, asking for admission to take over before we blow our life and waste it, that which really does not count. And then we find that all of the needs of that fugitive were met at the city of refuge, and so are all of our needs. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, with all of the great riches of the Lord Jesus Christ, with what he said was an abundant life. And then, of course, just like the person who would not flee to the city of refuge had no other help or hope, person who does not flee to the Lord Jesus has no other help or hope. He is our only source of salvation. These are the great truths. We might conclude it with a statement of Nahum, the Old Testament prophet, who reminded us all that the Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of your trouble. And he knows those who take refuge in him. What a wonderful God he is for all people. Oh, there is a place of refuge, and it's right over there. It's accessible. It's available. It's open for you. There is help on the inside. Go, go. It's the only place of safety. That's the way it worked in the Old Testament. And it worked. It was fair. It was just and yet met with compassion because there are so many misunderstandings in life. Things become so scrambled, difficult, yet God had his wonderful provisions. But before we close this morning, let me remind you of two great differences between the city of refuge in the Old Testament and the refuge that we have in the Lord Jesus today. One great, big, basic difference is that the city of refuge was for the person who unintentionally was involved in a homicide. It was basically a protection for an innocent person but the place of refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ is for those who are guilty. For the Bible declares that when we were ungodly, 
Christ died for us and shed his blood. And he died for the murderer. He died for the adulterer, for the fornicator, for the idolater, for the liar, for the thief, for the homosexual, for the effeminate, for the hypocrite. He died for sinners. People who have broken his moral law and who have defied God's standards. That's, that's the person that Jesus is a refuge for. Is that not what Paul said to the Corinthian church? He says, and such were some of you. But now you are washed. You are justified. You are sanctified. The other big basic difference is that the runner, the fugitive like this man here who just came, could have fallen, could have sprained his ankle, could have had a heart attack, could have been slower than his pursuer, could have failed to have gotten to the city of refuge. But the Lord Jesus Christ is a no-fail system. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help, a superlative help in the time of trouble. And as Nahum put it, the Lord is good. He is, present tense, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows great affection those who take refuge in him. And that's why the sinner, the guilty person, look up at God and say, you are my refuge in the day of trouble. Trouble I have brought upon myself. Oh, that's the magnificent grace of our God. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounds. Forgiveness was so perfect. Have you gone to him? I sure hope you have. Because if you're here today and you don't know what it means to be declared righteous before a holy God, if you don't know what it means to have the assurance that if you were to die today, you'd go home to be with God, then that's why he and his gracious providence brought you here today, so that you might know. If you're a Christian today and find trouble knocking at your door, he is our refuge and our strength. In the midst of the holocaust and all of the problems that Corrie Tin Boom found herself, he is a hiding place for you too. That will give you ability to persevere and to be strong by his great power. I'd like for you, if you would please, to turn with me in a hymn of response. Number 249. 249 and I would like for us to sing this and in the name of the Lord Jesus to extend an invitation to anyone here who may not have the assurance of sins forgiven and of eternal life this is what a person has to say he has to say just as I am without one plea except that your blood was shed for me he has to admit his need a lot of people are not willing to do that
That's why they remain outside of the place of refuge, because they have not recognized how desperately they are bankrupt before God. That's where you have to begin to see your need and then to see God's great provision. If you've never made that step of faith, oh, my friend, do it today. I want to urge you just to come forward from where you are. Step down the aisle. The Lord identified himself with you when he came. He wants us to identify ourselves with him. Let us know that you have that need. We want to help you like someone helped us. If that is your need, express it and come forward. Or if you are here today as a believer and you would like to unite with us in membership so that we might be good pointers to the place of refuge, why, let us know that too. Or if you're here today with a special need or you need someone to surround you with special prayer, come forward. We're here to help you. We just want to point you to the solution, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's all of us just stand and appreciate these tremendous words of God's help. Let's sing the second stanza, number 249, stanza number two. The invitation is yours. to be inspired and encouraged by the example in the person of Eric Liddell. Dead, he still speaks, as the Bible puts it. We will just be really thrilled to see what, uh, what God did with a man who really didn't have many years to live, but knew how to use the few years that he had. That's what counts. Not how long we live, how well we Six o'clock tonight. Following the benediction, once you turn around and give up, we'll make it easy. Give a warm welcome to those around you. And now let's pray. Our Father, you are so good. And we ask now that you will hedge about every one of these dear people with your grace, your mercy, and your peace. And Lord, if there is someone here today who does not know you, and who needs to. For some reason, found pride or something interrupting the way to come from their need to their solution. I would pray that very graciously you might accompany them with restlessness until they rest themselves in your perfect provision. And now dismiss us, we pray, in the name 
Lord Jesus Christ, our refuge. Amen. Well, that was pretty good that we have a God that we can talk to when we're just in need or just want someone to talk to. I've been there. I've done that. I've made mistakes, yet God still loves me. God is so good. If you need someone to talk to about God, please do so. It will be the best decision of your life. Also, don't forget to share and subscribe. Well, that's it for this one. Tune in next time. Till then, this is Andrew Jensen signing off.